What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. Yeah, it is. That is that is the name of the show. What up, everybody? Hanging out in the home studio, which I love, which means I'm wearing I'm, I'm wearing Uggs. Uh, I got two pairs of Uggs. Decided to go with the uh, the high top version today. Just keeping you abreast of what's happening in my quarantine. Also wearing some Modern Family sweats because wanna support the lady. Also, they are the sweats that I wore yesterday, and I'm wearing a t-shirt and a beanie. So, really coming to work with the fire outfit today. I am excited about the work that I am going to do today. The Wells cast got a good freaking guest on. You know, the original idea of this show was to find people with amazing stories. How they got to become famous is cool, but there are a lot of people that just got lucky. But then there are a lot of people out there that like fought and clawed and took some circuitous routes to get where they are today. And I think that's exactly what we have in today's guest. I mean, you know this guy from television. He's a comedian. He's an actor. He's a TV host. He won New Celebrity Apprentice back in 2017. He's the host of American Ninja Warrior. He's been on movies like Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, Beneath the Surface. But beneath the surface of Matt Eisman's television and movie career is a crazy story. One that apparently starts with going to med school and attending Princeton. One that also includes being a survivor of cancer, having part of his kidney removed. I mean, this guy's story is bonkers. This is one that you're not going to want to miss. So coming up in just a couple of minutes, the Wells cast with Matt Eisman. Stick around. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Wells. Matt, how are you, bud? Oh my God, listen to those buttery baritones, man. (laughs) Nice, nice I, pipes. I like that you got this like the same home setup that I got going I know, on here. I know, right? I, I set this up because I thought I was going to be doing a ton of voiceover when I moved in, and instead I just use this for Skype and zooming with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> same exact thing. I did. I did voiceover auditions for like six months, and nothing ever came of it. And I was like, Oh All yeah, right. gotta love VO. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm gonna do podcasts now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm in my uh, quarantine uh, uniform, which yeah. is very similar to that of college dorm chic. It's the grunge era. So you're you're a little younger. I went to college in the grunge era, and we went from the '80s, mm-hmm. where everyone's in fluorescent clothing, girls had their hair crimped and teased, to nobody showering, mm-hmm. wearing sweatpants and flannels and knit caps, and just. Just looking like uh, you're you're a bunch of despondent Seattle kids. Well, that's how I feel right now. Are you, sorry, that, you got like the old Cosby sweater on. Look at this, my sweater's so comfortable. <laughs> I don't know. I have not the impression to be doing these days. <laughs> yeah, no, now we can't do that joke anymore, man. It was such an easy one, jello pudding, and now you can't pudding. do it. 
<laughs> you got is that a micro ukulele or is, is distance prove it playing tricks on my eyes to, to your other side oh yeah it's a ukulele we got all the tricks and and things i got a nintendo 64 <laughs> hooked up over here it's something out of Step Brothers where i'm like building home forts come <laughs> <laughs> friends obviously sarah's home then she's not out working of course mm-hmm. uh, like i'm i'm single so i am in this i i feel like jack torrance in the shining just oh wow all work and no play and i'm getting a little <laughs> getting a little stir crazy if you're clean and healthy you can come be a part of our quarantine pod where we just sit around and watch ozark over and over again how good is Ozark. Jason Bateman. The thing I was saying is I hate every character. They're all despicable. And yet you pull for them. You like them. There's nobody all a hero, nobody who's all a villain. It's such a like shades of gray show. And it's so well done. Yeah, I know. I did a tweet the other day where I was like appreciation post for Jason Bateman. Whatever you got in the can that you're waiting to release down the line. Let's just do that now because I ripped through the uh, outsider. I'm done with those dark and I need something new. It started with the rest of development. He has just made a comeback and you forget how funny. God, he is funny. And yet an amazing dramatic actor. It's a good show to watch because it makes you feel better about being locked in your house. Yeah. Realize you could be in Ozarks laundering money, dealing with meth and heroin dealers and threatened beheadings. Do you remember when he was on the Hogan family, like way back in the day? Look how old I am. (laughs) That was part of my regular childhood. I think he was uh, uh, Ricky Schroeder's friend on Silver Spoons. Yeah. But, you know, he was always playing in the shadow of his sister, Justine Bateman, on Family Ties. And then he just said, no, no, no. I got this, Justine. It's my turn. I was watching Dodgeball the other night, like a fall asleep movie, and I had forgotten that he's the commentator on that. The uh, bold move, Cotton. (laughs) So, you know, obviously with American Ninja Warrior, we do lots of that. And it's impossible not not to quote Cotton Wells and Pepper. It was so funny. And and I don't know if he chose it going in kind of that extreme sports guy (laughs) drunk. (laughs) Dodgeball was a very good movie. You're right. I think that was one that really started kicking him back into movies. Too. Yeah. Remind us, the dude's funny. I'm glad that you brought up American Ninja Warrior. We have Matt Eisman on the Wells cast today. I'm very excited because I'm a huge fan of American Ninja Warrior. Big celebrity apprentice guy. You've been doing so much recently, but I don't know if anyone kind of told you the idea for this show. This show's all about origin stories, much like... Uh- Nice. That of Jason Bateman and Family Ties. I want to know <laughs> where Matt Eisman came from and how you got to where you are today. And everyone's story is different, but I've got a feeling that your story is going to be much different because from the little bit of research that I did before starting this show, you weren't like at first setting out to become this comedian and this like extreme sport no. host. So, no. Matt, where did you come from? It's funny. I was just watching Batman Begins, the origin story of yeah. Bruce Wayne getting <laughs> his parents killed. So I, I, I did. I started down a different path. I grew up in Colorado. Entertainment was a world apart. I didn't know anyone in entertainment. Entertainment didn't seem like a viable career. And so I just you know, was going to school. And, and my path was I was becoming a doctor. And so I went to college and got into medical school in New York, went to med school, graduated, got my MD. I was doing residency at the University of Colorado, and I just had this epiphany where I realized um, my heart wasn't totally 
in this. And now is such a perfect example of why medicine isn't a job. It's not. It's it is a calling. And to see these people who are, you know, friends of mine uh, who I'm talking to on a regular basis who are going into places where we are being told to avoid literally like the plague. And these doctors and nurses and healthcare workers are going in there risking their lives for this because it is a calling. It's a sacred trust when people place their lives in your hand. And I, I don't think I totally, I didn't have that passion, the passion that's needed for that. So I, I kind of was at this crossroads and I thought I, I gotta, I gotta figure something out. Wells. So I, I decided to take a year off, uh, from medicine to kind of clear my brain. And, and I thought, you know, it could be a ski bump, could travel around the world. I'd done stand up a couple times in New York. So I thought I'm just going to move to LA. I've never done anything creative. I'll do stand up for a year. I'll get it out of my system. I'll grow up and go back to medicine. Instead, it was like three weeks after moving out here. I was like, I'm never going back. I found what I'm meant to do. And this, this meanwhile, this I'm doing awful open mics in Los Angeles. It, this is not like I was performing at the improv and, reality star women were coming up, throwing themselves at me. I was bombing at, you know, falafel huts in front of four other comics, but I just, I fell in love with performing. And, and so from there, just really stumbled into this career of, you know, I, I knew someone who got me in as an extra on the Drew Carey show as a baseball player that led to commercials that got me into sketch comedy that got me into hosting. And in 2004 was my first hosting gig. And that first gig, which was on E!, ended up getting me Ninja Warrior. So that first hosting gig got me the job I have today. So it's, I didn't craft this out. I, there was no path. I'm not Magellan navigating this. It was just kind of being out here and I think uh, getting some opportunities and and taking my swings and saying yes to things. Yes, to, you know, I one of the one of the things I did was a home makeover show. And if people watch Clean House, spoiler alert, I I'm not actually a contractor. I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> but they're like, we need someone who can interact with people. And it was it's just been a, a ridiculously fun ride. I was you know I was just talking to a friend who was back in Colorado who I grew up with who knew me when I was doing medicine, and I was just talking about something. And I mentioned apprentice because I just done some stuff with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And my buddy goes, did you ever think when we were growing up that you'd become buddies with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I was like, no, I didn't. He goes, you've made it, man. If nothing else happens, you've made it. It's been a ridiculous ride. In hindsight, you can kind of connect some of the dots, but even moving out here, even 10 years ago, I think I didn't know what was next and where it was going. And a lot of it is just, you know, as I think, as you've seen now, you know, being out here and opportunities come and you, you don't know, rarely do you know which ones are going to be the ones that change your life. You know, it's just kind of a guessing game and this idea of it's a marathon and, and being out here and loving what you do because there's no guarantee you're going to end up in a house with a, with a theater, with uh, <laughs> red velvet curtains, you know, and, and, and you got to be okay with that. You got to be okay with, Hey, I'm doing what I love and I'm hopefully making a living. And obviously, you know, right now it's very tough for anyone to make a living at this, but it is, it's still something where every day I get to go to work. I, I love it. I love what I do. I love hosting Ninja Warrior. I love doing stand up. I was doing live rescue on A&E before uh, this all hit. And that was fun. I, I, I just, I really enjoy getting to perform, getting to tell stories in front of people. You've got to be like a little bit of a sadist. I mean, I've done a little bit of stand up and like a little bit of improv stuff. I've never been a doctor, but my father's one. So I know it's hard. Yeah. What is it about you choosing the hardest things to do <laughs> to do? You know, growing up, I think my, my, my parents were incredibly supportive, but they were also encouraged 
me, you know, they're like, Hey, just put everything you got into it. And so, you know, that's got into good schools and did well. And being a doctor, you know, is all kind of fitting those marks. And I think when I left medicine and came out to Hollywood, there was certainly, uh, the advantage I had, you know, this is a business of no, this is a business that breaks people down. It really doesn't value them. So many people come here young without a strong sense of identity. And I had the advantage of I'd become a doctor. I I had that under my belt of, Hey, I've accomplished something. But the more important thing was I really had perspective. I'd seen what life and death was. And, you know, we take this very seriously out here, but this is make-believe, right? Sarah's pretending to be in a, a mixed family and it's all fun and games and, and you know, you, you get to be a, a DJ and I get to tell jokes or talk about ninjas and we take it very seriously. We work very hard at it. But at the end of the day, never more, more so than now, it's, it's clear what we do is, is fun. And so I think having that perspective probably has helped me navigate this business that is oftentimes it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, most of the time you get told no. And even when you get told yes, most of those never make it on the air. And even those that do rarely last more than a year. So, you know, you got to enjoy it while you can knowing, you know, who knows how entertainment is going to emerge after this, a show like Ninja Warrior is a rabid following. We were, we were gearing, we were supposed to be shooting on March 13th. So, you know, it's just when things started shutting down that we just, we just got this season nipped and they're trying to figure out how to come back. But, you know, we'll have like a hundred plus athletes and two, 300, 400 family members there. We'll have our crew. So to think when, when are we going to be able to have a group that large gather again? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know, you know, what the plan is. I, I, I think every production is kind of in this waiting game to figure out how do we and I don't know that we get back to normal, but what's our new normal and when do we get there? And that's, I, I don't know. It, it's kind of crazy watching and, and still realizing, look, there are still far greater problems, but we are starting to wonder, you know, how are people going to make a living? I love the idea of your fallback plan was being a doctor. Okay, so I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you right now, Wells, people are like, why aren't you going into the hospital? First of all, it's been 20 years since I practiced. And secondly, I do have rheumatoid arthritis. So yeah. I have an autoimmune disease and my medication downregulates my immune system. So I am immunocompromised. So I'm someone who is considered part of the vulnerable population. So aside from the fact I'd probably be useless, it's probably health wise best for me to try to avoid hospitals. Yeah. Sarah is a uh, kidney transplant recipient. So she is also um, immunocompromised. And I've been trying to not talk about Corona a lot on my shows just because we're just inundated with it. But it's one of those yeah. things of like, I totally get the young dip person being like well if i get it i'm gonna be fine and like yeah. you know i'm, I'm gonna be it's whatever and i don't want to miss spring break yeah and I, I i get that mentality and also there's a the thing that comes with youth of invincibility so i get yeah. where they're coming from but it's like okay great that's that's fine that you'll be fine but you could give it to someone who would not be fine and then think about how terrible you would feel if you killed the host of American Ninja Warrior, you know, like <laughs> that just got real well. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. I think in that this has been unusual in any challenge we faced before, you know, nine 11 or anything. I think where you realize it's not just about you yeah. there, there that, like you said, you could be totally healthy. You could be fine. But, you know, and I think from spring break, we saw so many of those kids went back and tested positive and you wonder who else did they infect? And, yeah. you know, that'd be a heavy thing to carry around. And, you know, we, we, it's hard to know. It's hard to know exactly. But just what you said, the the idea of these kids, they feel invulnerable. But at some point that that guilt, that reality could set in. And, you know, it's odd that right now we're soldiers on the front line and our job 
is to stay at home. Yeah, I know. That's that's your post. You do not leave your post. <laughs> you stay home. You do not leave this post, soldier. You're like, all right, okay, I'll get on my microphone. This is my couch. There are many couches <laughs> like it. <laughs> Dude, we got some good pop culture overlap here, <laughs> yeah. Wells. That was a good one. Okay, so I, I kind of want to go back a little bit. So you grew up in Colorado. Are, are yeah. your parents doctors or in the, in the medical field? Dad's a doctor. So yeah. dad was a doctor and never, you know, never pressured me to go into medicine. But what he did is he set an example. I just saw how much my dad loved what he did, how much satisfaction he got from it and what a difference he made. And 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 that that appealed to me. My dad's my hero. So I think want to follow in his footsteps, but I was good at science and I like people. So it's the perfect fit on paper, but you know, that's one of the things you learn growing up. You don't live your life on paper and what should be good. Sometimes it just doesn't resonate. And that's why you, you know, you gotta, and that was the tough part was kind of having that courage to, cause you know, I, I, the hardest part for me was telling my parents that I wanted to leave medicine. Cause again, I went back to the university of Colorado. My dad's a professor there. We were working at the same hospitals. And I, I'm sure for him, it's like, my son, my son, the doctor has come home. Yeah. And I just thought, oh my God, he's going to be so disappointed in me. <laughs> and it took me like a month and a half to work up the courage. And I remember when I told him, I, I was so terrified and he just, he didn't miss a beat. He just looked at me and he goes, life is short. Do what makes you happy. He and my mom, they, they didn't even flinch. They were just like, we don't, you know, we don't care if you're pumping gas or, or, or waiting tables, as long as you're happy, you've got your education, go, go, go do what, you know, what your what makes your heart sing. And, and it was just such a, you know, at that point, which is why I think when I moved out to LA too, it was just, it was like, I was, you know, freed from these cinder blocks. I, I thought I was going to go out there with this weight or this guilt. And instead I just felt like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm giving a chance to kind of a redo, uh, you know, in life where you get a kind of reboot and, and say, I'm going to try something different. And it was just, uh, you know, when I started doing stand up and and got on got on the the stage and and just got the the feel of what it's like to get a crowd going and to make them laugh and to leave them smiling, I was like, this this is how I'm meant to help people. It's not curing cancer, but it's hopefully leaving people you know uh, a little happier than when they came. Did you go to Princeton? Yeah, I went to yeah I went to Princeton for undergrad and uh, Columbia University for med school. So, Jesus, like uh, yeah, Wells on paper, I'm so impressive. <laughs> And then you meet me in person, you're like, that, this can't be that guy. It just doesn't seem like him. It was, it's interesting, you know, it's, I guess. I did a morning show for like seven years. And when you do morning shows, you don't do a lot of musicians because a lot of musicians don't want to get up because their voice isn't ready. <laughs> but whoever is playing at the Chuckle Hut or the Laugh Factory or, you know, Zanies uh, <laughs> is definitely coming in because they need to sell tickets. So I talked with a lot of comics and I had interviewed so many musicians and so many actors and whatever. And I came to this conclusion that for the most part, comics all could be astrophysicists if they wanted to be, but they're like too damaged. So they went into stand up comedy because you have to be so freaking smart to do it to be the quickest guy in the room, generally because there's some quick guy in the room talking shit to you on stage yeah. and you got to be quicker than him. It totally makes sense that a guy that, you know, went to Princeton and Columbia, have this other calling. My one question to you is, were your parents like, you know, like do what makes you happy, but also like, you know, in um, The Wedding Singer, when Adam Sandler's like, information that would have been good to know yesterday. <laughs> I imagine your dad being like, yeah, sweet, but like what, we just spent a lot of money on tuition, kid. Yeah. Hey, listen, I, 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 they were wonderful to my face. I'm sure as soon as I left, <laughs> they were like, this kid is out of the will. He's getting nothing. 
Sure. I wish I wish I would have known earlier that this switch was coming, but it really, you know, it was one of those things where sometimes you you don't know until you're there. Yeah. And so that was the case with medicine where I really enjoyed medical school. I loved the challenge of it. And, you know, just in residency, you just start to see the day-to-day existence and the the tremendous responsibility you have. And I, look, I'm sure there were points where my parents, my, my friends were all like, dude, you're, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you're walking away from a sure career to go tell jokes at the chuckle hut. What are you thinking? And it, it took a few years, I think, before I started getting into commercials, which, and back then commercials paid absurdly well. So, I mean, within three months, I was making probably almost 10 times what I was making as a resident. Because as a resident, you're making, you're basically making subsistence level wages. You're, you're making nothing. The money made it a lot easier to say, I'm staying. Because after a couple of years, I was doing commercials, but I hadn't had, I wasn't hosting, wasn't doing anything long term, but I was making a lot more money and I was a lot happier. And I think that was the thing that eventually my parents saw was I was just smiling all the time, having so much fun. Do I, I wonder if I'd been mature enough to stay a doctor, you know, would I, would I, would I have loved it? Maybe, maybe, maybe I would have grown up, but I, I, instead I'm, I'm out here and, and I think you, you nailed it where, look, I, I am obviously on paper, I'm pretty educated, but when I meet comedians, I, I think you see, they may not be educated, but they are intelligent. They are the fastest minds. And when you look at, you know, Dr. Ken, Ken Jong, you know, went to Duke and uh, Dr. Uh, Greg Giraldo, one of the funniest comics around, was a Harvard-educated lawyer. There are a lot of guys out there who are who who show that the intelligence that you have to have, and that that the really good comedians, whether they dropped out of high school, you know, like you said, could have been a rocket scientist or could have been a, a wordsmith or whatever. That I the comedians really have these incredibly minds that are so good at making connections and wordplay and and seeing a room and reading people. I think there are a lot of skill sets in comedy that would be good for sales or, you know, finance or poker. There's just a lot of human skills, uh, I think. And which is funny because you meet a lot of comedians. You're like, they're not, some of them are just terribly, not terribly social. Other than when they're on stage, they're miserable. Mitch Hedberg would come in with like a hoodie on and glasses. Hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Tortured souls. Dude, the fact that you got to know Mitch Hedberg is very cool. I mentioned doing Apprentice and getting to meet, I got to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. on there and Vince Neil from Motley Crue. Like I, I remember going on the feel good tours, seeing him. And now I'm hanging out with this guy and Ricky Williams. And, and for me growing up, because Hollywood seems so far away, the fact that I'm now dipping my toe in it and getting to meet some of these people whose work I've enjoyed so much. Cause the reality is like, I'm in reality TV. We're still the, the stepchild of, of entertainment, you know, and, and we're, we're not really invited to the big parties and, and that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to have a job, but it's been cool. Like getting to meet Schwarzenegger for me has just been one of those, one of those things where you're like, man, this, I, I feel like I've, that's a mark of I've made it. This, this is one of those things that I never would have dreamed of. And, and, and I love when you get to do things. So I was supposed to go cover the Olympics this summer. NBC oh. was going to have me do a streaming show there. And I was like, this is going to be it. I'm going to go to the Olympics, something I've been watching since I was a little kid. And I'm going to get to be interviewing the athletes. And then, you know, the, the virus has to ruin it for me. <laughs> but it's, it's these moments when you get to do things that you came from Nashville. Yeah, I was in Nashville doing radio. So you think like how just something comes and all of a sudden you're in a different stratosphere, more opportunities yeah. come your way. It's just fun when you think, man, I, I very easily could have just been you know, stayed there and probably been happy, but look at this now, look at these opportunities and 
Look at the experiences I'm getting to have. And that's, that's one of the things I always try to do is just appreciate this ridiculous life we get to lead. And these, these moments where, you know, I'm still really good friends with my buddies from high school and college and, and even growing up and like to just send texts to them, like, man, this, you know, I'm getting to, I, I'm getting to throw out a first pitch at a Dodgers game. I played baseball. I, I, I'm throwing a pitch at a Dodgers game. Just thinking this is so awesome. And I, I always try to appreciate these opportunities in these moments, because I think, you know, eventually the career goes away and you're just going to think back on those moments where you thought, man, that was a moment that I'd worked to make happen. And it was just, I wanted to sit in it and appreciate it and be grateful for it. Cause it's, you know, it's so easy at times to, I think we were talking about this where, where you're like, well, what's next? Yeah. You know, and, and there is always a degree of that, but you know, just trying to say, Hey, and, and that's one of the things I think that this has afforded us this chance to slow down and appreciate what you have and, and appreciate hopefully what will come, what's to come in the future. Obviously I live in LA now, so we have a lot of friends who are actors and everyone's going on auditions and it's tough to, to book anything, whether it's, you know, hosting gigs or commercials or pilots and whatnot. And you said when you got to LA, you were able to book a bunch of commercials. What do you think separated you from everybody else? Because there's a million people going in for those auditions. I think I, I have a goofy enthusiasm that seems to seems to work. And I think uh, I'm like 6'4", 245. I'm a, I'm a decent-sized guy. You know, you tend to be like an action hero or the strong, silent type. And I'm the 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so I think with the commercials, a lot of times I was playing the dopey guy who doesn't know how to do the laundry. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you're totally believable as that. That's, that's what you're going to be. I, I don't know. It, and and that, that was what was tough with commercials was, you know, on TV, if you, if you have a hit show, people want you, they know, oh, you can do this in commercials. You have a hit commercial. Sometimes people are like, ah, you're, you're kind of known for that. Yeah. And we're looking at the next thing. So I think it's hard. Some people have built momentum, but a lot of them realize you kind of have a, have a, a shelf life in commercials. So I was lucky to kind of parlay the commercials into, you know, sketch and then into hosting, but I'll, I'll, here's the crazy thing, though, Wells, that that is disheartening or not. I don't know if it's it's just a fact of I've ended up on the other side of casting where I'm sitting in. And I'm sure Sarah's had this experience, too, where once you get on that other side and you realize how often it's not about you, it's not about your performance, where there are just factors that you could never know that they won't tell you that go into it. I remember we were casting something and a guy came in and he was amazing. And he walked out and everyone said, that guy was great. And I go, we're not going to hire him, are we? They go, no, it's not what we're looking for. And I go, yeah. he's going to think he tanked. They go, yeah, yeah, that's the business. And it's, I, I think it's tough to, uh, you know, to, to be in this business where, you know, and, and I think then it becomes, all right, well, because I don't know what they're looking for. And sometimes they don't know what they're looking for. Instead of trying to guess, let me just do me. Let me give you the goofy me and, and hope that, I, you know, cause I think a lot of times they're just looking to be inspired. And if you come in there and you've got something unique that you do, I think knowing that, uh, and leaning into it. So I'm, you know, ninja, I'm big, loud, enthusiastic guy. That's kind of my stock and trade. So if, if you want the golf, if you want Jim Nance in the, on the, in the masters, that's probably, I'm probably not your guy. <laughs> I want you to start the next uh, season of American Ninja Warrior with hello friends. Today, Hello, we're going to make a bunch of people can run around this crazy <laughs> obstacle course. Um, Listen okay. to the swallows on. <laughs> <Damon Corp. laughs> 
I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. You get into Hollywood, you're booking a bunch of commercials. Now take me through, you know, the pathway to where you are now, where you're the host for American Ninja Warrior, you're going on Celebrity Apprentice, like... Show me that circuitous route all well, the way to here. So I was doing sketch comedy at the Groundlings mm -hmm. um, in class. I wasn't even a member of their performing troupe, but it was like their last, their highest level class and uh, had a show. And one of the guys was Mikey Day, who's become a big guy on SNL. He, he and I were doing sketches together and he was super funny and I was mildly funny. But a guy came up afterwards and was like, uh, hey, there's a game show. Can Can I submit you for it? And I'm like, this was like a class show. And I'm like, sure. And that ended up being this show at E, this um, kind of Fear Factor ripoff. Then I got it. So it, it was it was really kind of a throwaway because, you know, I was so focused on this sketch stuff. I went for this audition and got it. And that show only lasted one season, but it, it got me on a home makeover show that went for six years, won an Emmy for it. And that got me a show called Sports Soup, which was the sports version of The Soup with Joel McHale. Mm -hmm. That was on Versus, and that show got me Ninja Warrior. So six years after that first gig, I got Ninja Warrior. 
So really that first hosting gig in 2004 led to the job I have today. And, and the only reason I got on apprentice was it's on NBC and literally they called me, they called me about six days before they were due to start shooting. And they're like, look, we'll shoot you straight. We're pretty well cast up and we got a lot of, uh, of wacky people. We need someone who we think can do the work and you're kind of our last hope. Can you do this? And I was like, wow, you're really making an appealing pitch. And they go, Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to be the new boss. I'm like, I'm in. Yeah. And that was a really interesting experience, though, because, you know, you've had this experience. I've been a host, so I've never had to risk anything on any of the shows I've done. I've done a lot of competition stuff where people fall on their faces or fail in front of millions. And and I just get to go, oh, that that's tough. That's mm-hmm. going to hurt. But now I was on that other side of the camera and, you know. Celebrity Apprentice was relatively easy compared to some of the other ones, but we were on from 7 a.m. till 9 p.m., six days a week for about six weeks. You're on camera. The last thing my bosses at Ninja Warriors said to me before I went on were like, hey, people like you do not screw this up. Yeah. Because you know, like, I'm no longer the one in control. I'm not the one who's getting to comment on the action. You're in there. And so that was as nerve-wracking an experience as I've had in Hollywood where you know everyone's looking to throw you under the bus. Your head's on a swivel. You just kind of manage to survive and, and get through it. And then, to you know, I, my, my goal was just don't be the first person fired. And yeah. then, you know, I end up winning, which was awesome. But then it became very politicized because of the previous boss. Really, nobody watched it. You know, it led to me. I've, I've gotten to do a, a bunch of charity uh, fundraisers with Schwarzenegger now. We've gone to Europe. We've done them in his backyard all over the place. And we've, I think we've raised like close to $10 million, mostly him, but I've had a little help in it. And it's been amazing going these opportunities that lead to these other things, even if it's not in the way that, you know, I thought this show was going to blow up. Everyone was going to know me. Not, not really, but it, it got me in with Arnold Schwarzenegger and got me into this other stratosphere. And talk about an inspiring guy being around Arnold Schwarzenegger, a guy who, you know, has had four or five different careers all at the highest level to go from this little kid in Austria to, you know, a world Mr. Olympia multiple time to become a real estate magnet and be a millionaire before he does his first movie to become a movie star, to become the governor, to become a philanthropist, to have his own uh, charitable branch at, at USC that that is doing good for politics. It's being around that guy, I, I say it's like business school because the energy he has, the creativity and the drive, you're like, you leave and you're just like, man, it's 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 like a dose of of speed. You just feel like, man, I can do so much more. And just seeing this guy at 72 crush it, it's that's been a great opportunity is just to the chance to see how he operates. Going back to your initial point of one thing led to another and you never really know what that one thing is. It, it's true, like I think for everyone out there, you know, that, that listens to this podcast for like the blueprint to success. You got to go into like every opportunity. Sometimes you don't even know their opportunities and still kick yes. ass and take names. So like I have a similar story of how I got into hosting on E because I was on The Bachelor at and then I'm the bartender in Bachelor in Paradise. So I got asked to go on Kathy Lee and Hoda's show to talk about The Bachelor one day. And so I went and they were like, hey, Kathy Lee and Hoda, they like to drink. Do you want to have a drink? And I was with a bunch of people. And, you know, it's it's at 830 in the morning. And I was like, yeah, man, I'll have a Moscow mule. And hell, I'll mix them up for everybody. So then I started making drinks at like eight in the morning. And I made one for Kathy Lee, who took a liking to me that day because I made her a drink in the morning. I'll bet you had a heavy hand on that one, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
If I'm good at anything, it's getting people a little drunk and being a little too honest on television. <laughs> so so that that in turn led to like her producer became a big wig at E who needed hosts for like red carpet stuff. That's and then they it. at that moment I was just like, Yeah, no, I just thought, I think it'll be fun to be like drinking with Kathy Lee on, on TV today. But I went into it with like a, a bunch of like as positive and, and fun energy and that in turn turn like I never thought that the Kathy Lee and Hoda interview is gonna turn into anything. You know? Yeah, I think you nailed it right there. That because to me, yeah, I think there are a couple of approaches. And I just mentioned Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now he's the opposite. He's a guy who had a vision, who's who said, "I want to be a movie star. I want to be a politician." And he wouldn't take no. And he was like Conan the Barbarian, just cutting down everything in his path. I, on the other hand, have been much more of I want to work, and I say yes to because it's just what you said. Where some seemingly tiny opportunity that offers no pay and no upside all of a sudden if you go in there because i always say like i know what i do and if you put me in a room and let me do what i do if they're looking for that they'll like it yeah but just give me that chance and and that's the thing where there's you know they always say there's no small roles you go in there and that could have very easily been a one and done but instead you took the opportunity you lean into it and and i think that's one of those lessons that people have where they say no i i need to get a starring role i want you know i want a role where i get to be the murderer and it's like hey you know what? Take what you can get, even if it's a student film, because that person could be Steven Spielberg yeah. in the future. And 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 the other thing is, I think work begets work. So sitting at home, holding out for that perfect thing. Again, that may be an approach that works for some. My approach has been, I want to get out there and I don't care if it's working. You know, I try not to work for free, but if, if it's someone I love or a project I like, I'm like, Hey, I, I don't know where this is going to come. It may fulfill me, but, but it's just what you said, where you don't know where that break is going to come from. And, and I think of that, those, those countless opportunities where you meet someone and they're like, not right now, mm -hmm. but I like you, but not right now. And I, I got to do some stuff with Travis Pastrana where we did a live show. He recreated Evil Knievel's stunts. I'd met with the production group five years before and they're like, man, we like you, but, there's, but we're going to keep an eye out for you. Five years later, they call. And we got to do like the largest cable special of the year back in 2018. And it was it was just this ridiculous thing of, this, this is a marathon. And I think, you know, even if you go in an audition, if you crush it, even if you don't get it, people notice and they don't forget. And it's that thing of having the patience to say, maybe not this one, but another one will come. And, and rare is the time that this one thing, it was your single opportunity where if you don't get it, you're, you know, if you get it, you be go on to become the Oscar winner. If you don't, you go back to slinging hash at a diner. Yeah. There, there are multiple chances out here. You know, the harder you work and the more pleasant you are and, and the more you take advantage of them, I think the more opportunities come your way. I'm also a firm believer in a healthy amount of delusion because I'll do a lot of those things and I'll be like, oh, you know what? They don't know what they're talking about. I killed that one. And, and, yeah. and that's, a, that's a them issue, not a me issue. And then I can feel oh, a little bit better I about it. But it is, it is one of those things because you don't often get feedback when they, yeah. they sometimes they don't even tell you no, they just give you silence and you think it has to be you. And it's much better to say, now nah, they had to go with someone who's totally different than me. That's the only reason they didn't choose me. Yeah. And I, to a certain extent, I think some of that, as long as you can be critical when you're like, Hey, I could have done that better. But at the same time going, I did pretty well. I'm happy with what I did. I yeah. think you're right. A healthy amount of uh, enough ego to say I can handle no. Yeah. I want to kind of get into the serious part of your story. I mean, you mentioned earlier that you have rheumatoid arthritis. You have to, you deal with that on a daily basis, but you're yeah. also a cancer survivor. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this is where uh, looking good on paper really changes. So I, I was diagnosed Christmas of 2002 with rheumatoid arthritis. And <clears throat> it was actually a relief. It had been a year and a half where I, I was symptomatic. I was going to doctors. I was getting checked out. None of the tests were positive. Nobody knew what was going on, but my body was falling apart. I, I went from being in the best shape of my life to not being able to work out at all. I gained like 55 pounds in 18 months. I was sleeping 10 to 12 hours a day. I was having pain and stiffness in my hands, feet, neck, and back. I was, it was like, I was like an old man. And so when they told me, and I was going to doctors, you know, probably four or five times a month, just getting tests and trying orthopedic or surgeons and podiatrists and, and, uh, aromatherapists and acupuncture, anything and everything. And, you know, they, they eventually diagnosed it off an x-ray. It was a relief when they told me what I had. It's not like you never want to hear you, you've got this chronic autoimmune disease and there's no cure. But what I wanted was just an answer because you, you psychologically, it's really hard when you know something's wrong, but everyone's telling you it looks normal. We can't find anything wrong. And you start to wonder, is this, is this in my head? Am I, am I imagining this? So to have an answer was satisfying, even if it wasn't necessarily an answer I wanted. And then when I started on treatment, it was like a veil was lifted and I'm, you never go back to normal, but you, you get better and you appreciate, you have such an appreciation for, uh, health because you've seen how easily it can be taken away. You know, when I was on apprentice arthritis foundation was my charity. And I, the, you know, the other thing is I've, I've really been, uh, adamant about telling my story because I remember when I was diagnosed again, I'm a doctor, my dad's doctors. I, I know what RA is, but I didn't know anyone who had it. And certainly it's a, it affects pr predominantly women. So I didn't know I was like 31 and a guy, and I didn't know anyone like me who had it. And I just thought when you look up in a textbook, when you hear about a disease, they put the textbook cases in. Those are by definition, some of the worst case scenarios. So you're looking at going, is this my future? These people whose bodies are ravaged, who are in wheelchairs, who have trouble breathing. And I thought, you know, when someone's diagnosed after me, I want them to have an example of someone who's hosting TV shows and might not look sick. Cause I think a lot of it is you want to see what's my future. You want to see someone who's thriving with the disease. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't talk about uh, their ailments. And I kind of have said, look, I'm lucky. It's been somewhat manageable for me. So I kind of want to be out there to try to inspire people who are diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis to say, you know, you, I'm not going to compete on Ninja Warrior, but I can host it. Yeah. And then in 2007, I, I, I get another whammy, uh, cancer. And ironically, the only reason they found it was because of my rheumatoid arthritis that I was having pain in my chest. And I went to a doc because I just thought with the immune system, the medicine I'm on, I'm, I'm more susceptible to infections. And I just thought this could be like a lung infection. So he got an x-ray that he was, he's like, it's fine. He goes, but he was a really thorough doctor. And he said, I want to get a CAT scan just to rule out anything else. Sends me to the ER. The doc says your CAT scan's fine. The next morning, the radiologist calls after reading it and he goes, there's a mass on your kidney. There's an 80% chance it's malignant. You got to get it checked out as soon as possible. And it was just this surreal moment of for a month, I was in this kind of suspended state of, you know, you're told you likely have cancer. The only time they'll find out is once you have surgery to remove it. So my family comes out, I go in for this surgery and sure enough, it was a malignant tumor on my kidney. And they said, but you're so lucky. You're so lucky. We caught this early because we got it. 
Mm -hmm. And there's a good chance that this is all you need. There's no radiation, no chemo, just this surgery. And 10 years have passed. So now my, my risk of that cancer has gone back down to essentially normal. But it was just one of those moments where what a reminder of how quickly things could change. And if, if I hadn't been vigilant because of the RA, I probably wouldn't have noticed it until it was symptomatic. And very likely it could have metastasized and my chance of survival dips to around 50%, maybe lower. The RA having this chronic disease and being vigilant helped me catch that cancer early. So it's, uh, you know, it, and, and it's another reminder of nothing's guaranteed health wise. And, uh, so, you know, take care of yourself as best as you can, as I'm eating waffles and cereal <laughs> and appreciate your health because it really can be taken away. And this is again, a reminder of it. You do so much just going through your resume and as like a hosty person myself, it's kind of daunting all the things that are on your Wikipedia page. I mean, aside from American Ninja <laughs> Warrior and, you know, you won Celebrity Apprentice. By the way, just real quick, was everyone like, this isn't fair that this guy's on Celebrity Apprentice. He is a doctor who went to Princeton and Nobody Columbia. Nobody cares about that because it was all who is more famous because fundraising is a big part of it. Yeah. I was, I was by far the least famous person on the show. And so they were at which, which allowed me to kind of be the sycophant where I could be like, Hey boy, George, I'm a big fan. Can I help you on something? Yeah. Sure. Darling, you can bloody help me. And <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, but it, you know, it helped because I was willing to do the grunt work, to be able to do the paperwork and just to to grind yeah. probably so than a lot of them did. There's Celebrity Apprentice, American Ninja Warrior, Live Rescue, and then I saw you're doing something with Ellen. Yeah, so Game of Games, where this is just a one-off, but we're on Ellen's Game of Games. And, you know, I've gotten to do like Hollywood Game Night and 25 Words or Less. And I will tell you, because you strike me a little bit, probably semi-competitive. Oh, yeah. And you probably have a ton of fun with games. It is so much fun getting to go on those game shows and and play because I just get ferociously. So that's the new thing I'm doing is I have a podcast coming out uh, called Factorious. That's a game show. And we recorded it back in October and it's it's dropping it's Tuesday the 14th. You can sign up now on, you know, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever. And it was so much fun to get to do a game show because I love I love the competitive nature of it. I love trivia. Uh, so all of that stuff, anytime a game show calls, I will play, I will host, I, will, I get to go on Kelly Clarkson and host a show where she and, and, uh, Jennifer Garner were playing and I'm hosting it. And I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm ferocious with the rules <laughs> and I build up this thing. I, I love it. I love playing games. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're very, you're very busy during this quarantine. So, uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> hugely busy. I don't want, you know, I, you have big meetings later today. Before I let you go, I wanted to do some rapid fire questions Let's with you. It. You I'm got it. Close. All right. Rapid fire questions with Matt Eisman. Here we go. What is your favorite book? Oh God. Harry Potter jumped into my mind. The, the adventures of Cavalier and Clay was another good one, but Harry Potter, I got to say Harry Potter. Well, when this all kind of gets back to normal, have you seen The Cursed Child on Broadway? Oh, so is it good? Sarah's dad plays Dumbledore in it, and what? when this all goes back to normal, and you, if you're out in New York, let me know, and we'll get you in there. It is the most, if you're a Harry- I am taking you up on that 100%. Yeah, if you're a Harry Potter nerd, like, this thing is amazing. All Harry right. Potter helped me win Apprentice. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> what was your first concert you ever went to? Neil Diamond. Nice. The jazz. First job. Window washer. First car. 
1973 P Green Chevy Nova owned by my grandma. I love how everyone knows exactly the year, make, and model of their first oh, car. God. Who would you call That's to get great. you out of jail? Steve Myers, one of my best friends. Never been in jail, uh, me or him, but we've come close. Yeah. Did you ever have a poster hanging on your bedroom wall? And if so, who was it? Not only d- did I, I still do. My, my parents live in the house where I grew up. My entire bedroom is covered and the poster directly across from my bed. Michael Jordan's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and Nolan Ryan, because I play baseball. But the poster directly across from my bed, Predator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Really? I don't think I didn't show him a photo of that. Governor, you've tucked me into bed every <laughs> night since I was 13. That's, that's crazy. Guys, that, no, that's bonkers, man. Favorite Uh-oh. superhero? Superman before, but now I got to say Iron Man. And Avengers Endgame just wrecked me. Uh, one thing that's always in your fridge? Sugar-free Mountain Dew. Really? <laughs> Yeah, sugar-free Mountain Dew and sugar-free Red Bull. It's so unhealthy. I should know better. I should know better, but it's green, so I think it's got to be good for me. One thing on your bucket list. So I just started drumming, and I'm trying to play a Phil Collins song, and it's pathetic because I have no rhythm. But I think I would love to perform with, like, Phil Collins or or Celine Dion or Steve Perry. Like, perform with a real rock star. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because, you know, stand-up comedy— we all want to be rock stars. You yeah. all want to go out there and just see like, you know, a, an arena, the lights come up and everyone just ah, like that. That would be awesome. Matt Eisman, thank you so much for being on the Wells cast. They're awesome. It's so interesting. Obviously, you're a smart guy. Obviously, you're very talented. But there's a weird thing that happens when a lot a lot of these successful people come in well, into the studio or we're doing this through Skype where you people's energy is so contagious and it makes total sense to me why you're so successful. We're in quarantine. It's early for me and your energy completely like lifted me up and and has now made my day so great. And so it makes total sense. You do all this stuff because if you're able to do that just through Skype, you can also do it through television screen. I mean, like all your degrees aside, I totally get it that you're successful. I appreciate that. I I think the word I I always used to describe myself was enthusiastic. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's pretty genuine because I just, it's so ridiculous that this is what I get to do. Yeah. Like it's, it's fun. We have a blast. And so I'm, I'm always very appreciative of it. And, you know, and honestly though, I will say that I've been getting a little stir crazy. And one of the things I've missed was this, I miss, yeah. you know, I miss interactions. I miss, you know, hosting. I miss stand up. I miss just interacting with people. I, I realize I'm, I'm getting, it, it's something that I'm, that I'm really struggling with where I'm just making a point to call my friends and, and, you know, I'm doing this podcast and we're going to try to do some gameplay where I just, I, I need that interaction with people. So I appreciate this. Wells. If people want to find out more about you, where do they need to go? At Matt Eisman, M-A-T-T-I-S-E-M-A-N. It's my website, Twitter, Instagram. I, I think I've got like two TikTok posts up, but I'm hoping not to get swallowed <laughs> into that. I'm, I'm online way too much, but uh, say hello. And, and if they could, check out Factorious. Yeah, is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you want to promote? You know, I, I mentioned the Arthritis Foundation, but we're, we're going to be doing stuff for Feeding America, you know, small ways to try to help with uh, this pandemic response. It seems to be a pretty good charity, but, you know, and whatever, I, I just... I hope people are doing well. We're all in this together. And so if you're fortunate enough to be doing okay, let's let's see where we can help some others who aren't. Matt Eisman, thanks again so much for being on the show, dude. You Buddy, are a like delight. We're, we're, we're friends now, Wells. I yeah. love it. And when this is all over, let me know. I'll get you into Harry Potter, bro. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> Wells, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. See you, bud. Dude. 
He went to Princeton and Columbia. <laughs> that guy's awesome. That was really, really fun. It's so weird to, to say out loud, I guess, but people who are successful have something. There's some th it thing. And that dude has it in spades. That was awesome. All right, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. He made my day so much better. All right, see ya. Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. He was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.